Psalm 112. Now I'm too loud. Verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. So this morning I have been asked... Wasn't exactly my idea, but I have been asked to share about God's blessings on the generations of my family. So, when I consider how the African American family is portrayed in the media and on the news, it grieves me that our love and legacy are often misrepresented or even ignored. I see characterizations that present us as people who don't love, value, or even know our family origins sometimes. In reality, the love of family has been foundational to the continuation of us as a people and as American citizens. Also, there seems to be some resistance to the teaching of African-American history and culture to white children who may become uncomfortable or made to feel bad when facts about us are shared. Lately, I have begun to realize that the knowledge of African-American history actually helps to humanize us in the minds of those who think that our beautiful brown skin (laughs) makes us animalistic or dangerous. So our history began with the kingdoms of Africa, kingdoms that controlled unimaginable wealth that was truly coveted by the Europeans. Greed and power became the dominant forces that were intended to demoralize us and desecrate the beauty of Africa and its people. My origins are in Africa. But we lost much of our history and culture, and most of all, our family name when we were brought to this country in chains. The Davis name alone tells the uncomfortable story of American slavery. My personal story begins with my birth in my parents' residence on the campus of Wilberforce University. It was a home birth. Wilberforce University was founded by the African Methodist Episcopal Church for the purpose of educating African Americans and others who were denied college educations in the white universities. It was founded in 1856, while American slavery was the law of the land. Let me add that the American brand of slavery has been unique on the world stage for so many reasons, resulting in the enslavement of 12 generations, 12 generations of my people. Throughout my growing up years, my father was my pastor, and he was the fourth generational Henderson 
Davis, all pastors in the African African Methodist Episcopal Church. So the first Henderson Davis was my great-great-grandfather, and I'll tell you about him. The second was his son, my great-grandfather. Then my grandfather, who was the first one that I actually met. I didn't meet these guys as old as I am. I didn't. (laughs) Then my father and then my brother was the fifth Henderson Davis. My father was a kind, loving man and a scholar who completed his doctorate in the psychology of religion at Boston University in 1951, which is the same year that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. entered his graduate studies at that same university, Boston University. I think they just missed each other. I don't know if they ever connected in this life, but I do know that my father was part of a march uh, in the 60s, I remember when he came home, well, at least my mom told me that the soles of his shoes were worn almost to nothing. So, um, but even though my father experienced a great deal of discrimination and injustice as a black man in this country, one of his favorite songs that he would love to sing at a church service was you've got to love everybody if you want to see Jesus. And it goes just a little bit like this. I'm going to try to sing a little of it in case you haven't heard it. You've got to love everybody if you want to see Jesus. You've got to love everybody if you want to see the Lord. You want to see the Lord. Now don't you worry about the ways of another. You just treat everybody like a brother. You've got to love everybody if you want to see the Lord. (laughs) And he always said that we are only one race of people, the human race. My father's dissertation was based on the Negro spiritual, and it was entitled, The Religious Experience Underlying the Negro Spiritual. He underscored the enslaved African's faith in God, total dependence on God, knowledge of the Bible, and love of Jesus through the singing of the spirituals. And in his dissertation were titles such as Ezekiel saw the wheel, little David play on your heart, dry bones, a witness, plenty good room, he never said a mumberling word, and I'm troubled with the words, when bowed down in sorrow and burdened with grief, to Jesus in secret I go for relief. And then there were freedom songs such as Two Wings and Did My Lord Deliver Daniel? which we sang (laughs) last Saturday, and Give Away Jordan, In a Dap Morning, and Steal Away. My father discovered another spiritual type created and sung by choirs known as the Jubilee Choirs, distinctively present in the black church culture of South Carolina. 
They sang a cappella and used their shoes for percussion on the wooden floors of the churches. And my father was hoping to add to his research in our move there by experiencing and recording the performances of the Jubilee Choirs. Their renditions are seared in my childhood memory, listening and watching with fascination to the way they marched rhythmically around the church, singing masterful harmonies, um, usually in a minor key. So another, I have another memory from my childhood in South Carolina. It happened around the beginning of the school year. Maybe it was in 1955 or 56, I'm not sure. And it was when my parents spoke with me about attending a racially segregated all-white school, elementary school there in Columbia, considering the recent passage of uh, Brown versus the Board of Education in 1954. They prepared me by saying, those white children may spit on you, and they may throw things at you. Do you think you could take it? I said, yes, I think so. And we would pass by their beautiful school several times, you know, in the week, and I thought it was gorgeous. They even had a playground and they had playground equipment, which we didn't have. <laughs> and they had grass, which we didn't have. And you know, in thinking about this, I was thinking back to what it was. It wasn't mulch or anything like that. It was like dirt that was packed down, but it didn't ever get muddy. I don't remember playing outside and it would be muddy, but, and we could, draw in the dirt the hopscotch. So, you know, I know that it was packed down dirt, you know, for my school. And my school was not as pretty or as new or any of that either. So I said, yes, let's go for it. And then my parents told me that, that um, the children and even some of the white adults may say awful things to me and call me terrible names like monkey and, of course, the well-used N-word, what do you think, they asked. And I still said that I was willing to do it. But after that day, it was never brought up again. I believe that my parents prayed about what the effects of putting me in traumatizing danger might be and decided against making that choice. So a few years later, it became for me a crushing reality as I watched in silence TV news stories showing the abuse and personal sacrifices of people like Ruby Bridges, a first grader in New Orleans who desegregated an all-white elementary school. Then there was the Little Rock Nine, teenagers who desegregated an all-white the all-white Central High School in Arkansas. And then James Meredith, who desegregated the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss. And Charlene Hunter-Galt, who desegregated the University of Georgia. 
they endured trauma with the hope of bringing about a more perfect union. Although I admire their bravery, I am personally grateful for my parents' refusal to allow me to earn a hero's distinction by desegregating that pretty school. Sadly, we still live in a country that devalues the lives of children of color and thinks nothing of terrorizing its children and young adults in order to preserve white privilege. My father was the dean of the seminary there in Columbia at Allen University, an AME, historically black college or university commonly referred to as an HBCU. As I said, he was the fourth Henderson Davis in his generational line. Now let me tell you about the first Henderson Davis right here. He was born into slavery as a slave in either Alexandria, Virginia, or St. George's County, Maryland in 1805. Ten years later, young Henderson Davis had been auctioned with others and placed on a ship bound for New Orleans, Louisiana. I can only imagine what that was like for him. Was he sold away from his family at the young age of 10? Many families were separated like that. My dad simply told me that that event occurred in 1815 and he didn't, didn't know. We don't know if his parents were with him or mom with him or anything like that. I can also imagine that he and the others on that ship were praying fervently to be freed and I believe that God answered their prayers by causing the ship to be wrecked. His obituary dated June 7th, 1883, reads, and I quote, a shipload of slaves were being sent to New Orleans for sale, he being among the number. During the voyage, a heavy storm arose and blew them off course during which storm they were shipwrecked. They were picked up by a British vessel and taken under the protection of the British, British flag and set at liberty. <laughs> he subsequently came to the north and located at Frankfort, Pennsylvania. He exercised religion when quite young and after spending some time in the church as a lay member, he felt called upon by the Holy Ghost to preach, end quote. And now there's a picture of his gravestone, um, the gravestone of the first Henderson Davis, 1805 to 1883. That gravestone is located in the cemetery of Mother Bethel AME Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So, and, and it was found by someone who does research, and she brought it to me. So I was very happy to have that evidence and, and the, you know, the information of his obituary as well. So the second Henderson Davis was his son, and he was born into freedom in Frankfurt, Pennsylvania in 1848, while American slavery was still the law of the land, but he was free. 
Before the age of 18, as a teenager, he was given a local preacher's license and began pastoring several churches that were part of a circuit. He pastored in New Jersey, New York, Canada, Nova Scotia, and Massachusetts. His final assignment was to the AME Church in none other than Rockville, Indiana. <laughs> and that was in 1901. Um, and that's where he met uh, his wife. As, no, 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 no. I'm jumping ahead. So he was already married. And there's, there's more story to that, too. His, um, what would it have been, his grandmother, I guess, was Native American uh, in Canada, right? So anyway, he came to Rockville in 1901 um, with his wife and mother-in-law. Yes. And many of the Davises have been in Indiana ever since. So... This picture and his write-up appeared in a book, sort of like a who's who of AME pastors with a write-up about his life. Okay. Now to my grandfather, who was the third Henderson Davis. He was born in 1883, and that's after the Civil War and the emancipation of the Negro. He was born in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, and ended his formal schooling at the sixth grade. He arrived in Indiana in 1906, when he was 23 years old, to assist his ailing father in, in the Rockville Church. And that's, he's the one that met, you know, my grandmother there in Rockville. Her family was already living in Rockville. He subsequently remained in Indiana and pastored many churches across the state. So I'm going to give you the list. <laughs> and these are all AME churches. Plainfield, Princeton, Frankfurt, Connorsville, Greencastle, Peru, Noblesville, Indianapolis, Newcastle, the Seymour-Columbus Circuit, the Washington-Vincennes Circuit, the Princeton-Lyle Station Circuit, Mitchell, Lost Creek, and Hanover. His last appointment was Bethel Princeton, from which he retired in about 1949. My memories of my grandfather are after his retirement and his living in Plainfield with my grandmother, my aunt, and several of my cousins. Well, it seems that all of the Henderson Davises had a love for people and were blessed with a gift of spreading the joy of the Lord to others. However, my grandfather also had a very loud, joy-filled laugh that would drive my little brother, the fifth Henderson Davis, to tears of fear <laughs> when we would visit. And frequently, when my brother was, I don't know, two or three years old, and we were on our way to Plainfield... <laughs> He would seek assurance from my parents by asking, is he going to laugh? <laughs> <laughs> of course he's going to laugh. <laughs> so in the picture there, you see my, my mother standing there on the left, 
and my great-grandmother, which was his wife's mother, and then I'm on her lap, and <laughs> that's my older sister, Vanita, standing next to me, and that's, that's my grandfather, the third Henderson Davis. And so, I don't know, just on a personal note, as I look at the picture of my sister, she just passed, and I think some of you know that. Um, she was living in Nashville, so that's how we were together. You know, we were brought up together. We were close in age. Okay, so, um, and also, as an aside, my daughter-in-law, Emily, who's here with us today with, with the family, well, she has family roots in Rockville, too, and it was just coincidental, you know, it was God brought them together with that Rockville connection. And it really shocked me that, that you know, Dwayne would meet someone from Rockville because I knew Rockville as, as a place to go visit <laughs> my great-grandmother and my grandparents and all of that. I just didn't think that, that that would happen, that they would meet. So anyway, now to my father, as I've told you a lot about him, but at any rate, he was born in Plainfield in 1913, and he pastored churches in Michigan, Ohio, where my brother and I were born, South Carolina, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa. And I lived all those places <laughs> except for Michigan. My parents moved to Indianapolis in 1973 when my father took on several supervisory roles in the AME church. So, yeah, the structure of the AME Church is that there are bishops and there's annual conferences every year. So, you know, the, the pastors get an appointment every year. Sometimes they're sent back to their church, but sometimes they're sent to other churches. And so that's why each of the Henderson Davises just kind of moved around with their families a lot. So now the fifth Henderson Davis, they're my brother, uh, was born in Dayton, Ohio in 1951. And although he did not become fully ordained, later in his life he acknowledged his call to the ministry. He faithfully participated in training provided by the Indiana Conference of the AME Church toward ordination, and he filled in as interim pastor at Alexander Chapel in Evansville in 2001. Other endeavors that my brother enjoyed were as a radio announcer in our radio personality, I guess, a DJ <laughs> in Memphis, Tennessee, Oakland, California, and right here in Indianapolis on WTLC. My brother was a gifted artist and had an amazing speaking and singing voice. And I taught him how to read before he went to school because I wanted him to be the smartest one in his class. <laughs> but I had no idea that he would, as an adult, be ad admitted to Mensa based on his high IQ. Although five years my junior, he left this life 10 years ago and is with the other Henderson Davises in eternity with the Lord. My dear brother did not marry or have children but our family continues in our faith in Christ, and many of us are active in our churches. So, I have a lifetime of memories 
of my entire family living lives of strength and goodness in the face of racial injustice. I also maintain that racism is not a black, but a white issue that must be addressed by white Christians. I thank God that I am a part of Common Ground Northeast, a church that is addressing racial injustice head on. In closing, my mother's generational history is similar to my father's. However, there are mostly teachers and some preachers uh, in her family line. And I can go back as far as my great-great-grandparents on my mother's side as well. We in the black community are well aware of the strength of family love and support. My family is not so unique. To my white brothers and sisters, my goal is to dispel media myths about the failure of the black family and to provide a picture of the enduring character of African Americans. I also try to remind myself of Paul's words in Philippians 4.8 because sometimes, you know, I, I forget to stay positive about what's going on in our country, but here's what I try to remind myself of as he wrote, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. All right, let us pray. Lord God, I just thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you for the leadership of Common Ground. I thank you for the truths of your word. I pray that you will bless each and every one who is here. Those missionaries that have come and gone through these doors, Lord, that, that really know what the rest of the world is like and are helping in other parts of the world. Lord, and, and we also, in this country, are a mission field. Help us to be strong, Lord, in everything that you are asking us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 <laughs>